The following talk was given at Mile High Church in Lakewood, Colorado. Please visit our website at milehighchurch.org. Good morning, everyone. It's great to see you. Uh, very happy to be doing a, the second part of a series we've been calling uh, Blessings Abound. And last week we talked about the gifts of giving. And today I want to talk about the greatest gift. So I'd like to begin by asking you to consider what is the greatest gift you've ever received? What is the greatest gift you've ever received? And I I can take some one or two word answers uh, that are a thousand people can share and I'll share two seconds each. But we've got there love, life, health. I'm sorry? Thought adjuster. I like those. Acceptance. Good. Somebody's time. Children. Forgiveness. Beautiful. Grandkids. Grandkids. No video games, no material stuff. This is great. <laughs> Music, beautiful. And uh, when I think about the greatest gift in my life, I remember some of the great uh, presents I've received on uh, Christmas Day. Uh, but the, the greatest gift, um, material gift that I've ever received, um, I actually um, got it at a different time. I got it from a teen um, from a teen program that I got to lead uh, for several years in, in Huntington Beach. That's actually how I got uh, into this teaching. My brother brought me to uh, the church in Huntington Beach when I was 14 years old, and they had a teen program there. And it was usually 15 to 20 kids. Uh, we'd always sit in the circle. The circle was very sacred. And we would just go around and share about our lives. And there was something so powerful about it for me. There was something about being in a, in a space that we all knew was sacred, where any of us could say anything that came to heart or mind and, and be accepted and appreciated in that. It was a powerful thing for a teenager. And sometimes uh, some of the kids would say things that were bizarre, but sometimes they'd say things that were really deep and profound. And so I knew um, almost immediately that's what I wanted to do with my life. I wanted to create sacred spaces to talk about big ideas. I didn't know that 25 years later that would look like being a minister uh, under a big dome here in Lakewood, Colorado. (laughs) But the same rules uh, apply. Create a sacred space where everyone's equal to talk about the big ideas. And so there was a young girl that came into the teen group. Uh, She was barely 13 years old, and uh, she refused to talk. And she even refused the first couple weeks to sit in the circle. And she would bring this big pink backpack and just hide behind it. And after a couple weeks, I got her to sit in the circle. And in another week or two, I actually got her to communicate a little bit with her backpack. So she'd go up and down for yes, back and forth for for no. And uh, I didn't realize until later that she had just lost her father. And she wasn't doing much talking at all. And um, your heart breaks and you have teens coming in and and you really want to know you're making a difference, that you're making some sort of impact, that you're affecting them in in some way. And so several weeks went by and I remember on one particular morning the the group was over for the day and uh, she walked up to me and she had in her hand uh, a gift that she had made for me. And it was a little origami box and I opened it up and inside there was this little origami a peace crane. And it's the greatest gift I ever received tangibly uh, because first, um, it, it reminded me of the, of the deep impact 
we can have on one another's lives and often not even know it. So it was a recognition that what we were doing was getting through in, in some way. But even more profound for me is the, the box and the peace crane inside. It, it symbolized that she was communicating to me that she was okay. That even though she was sad and suffering and didn't know how to put it into words, this peace encased in the box was a symbol that all was well with her soul. And it was a great lesson for me as a you know, minister, too, to recognize that that can be true of, of any person, that no matter how hard the road they're walking, there can be the remembrance of that inner peace and that wellness and grace of the soul. And that, to me, is one of the aspects of the greatest gift, the realization of how deeply we're connected with one another, the realization of the impact that we have on one another's lives and the rejoicing in the blessing of that. It reminds me of a favorite passage from a a novel by Marilyn Robinson called Gilead, Uh, about an old man who knows he isn't long for this world, but he's got a, a young son, and he's writing in his journal. And he says, I'd never have believed I'd see a wife of mine doting a child of mine. It still amazes me every time I think of it. I'm writing this in part to tell you that if you ever wonder what you've done in your life, and everyone does wonder sooner or later, you have been God's grace to me a miracle, something more than a miracle. You may not remember me very well at all, and it may seem to you to be no great thing to have been the good child of an old man in a shabby little town you will no doubt leave behind, if only I had the words to tell you. Pretty good words, nonetheless. Can you think about who's been God's grace in your life? And can you think about who you've been God's grace to in your life? Is there anything more sacred than the honoring of that connection? That yes, perhaps we can never fully put into words, but there, in that connection, is the greatest gift. The gift of God's grace put on the face or in the form of those whom we've gotten the opportunity to love the most and who've loved us in return. Last week, we were talking a little bit about Brother Lawrence, the Catholic mystic who stressed the importance of practicing the presence of God. Uh, Brother Lawrence believed in taking God with you wherever you go. He said, think often on God by day, by night, in your business, and even in your diversions. He is always near you and with you. Leave him not alone. He also, I believe, coined the term that God is nearer to you than your very breath, which for me, the 21st century translation is God is nearer to you than even your cell phone. It's always right right there. And again, by this term, practicing the, the presence of God, Brother Lawrence was speaking to this idea of honoring and recognizing the divine's virtues in yourself and sharing them with others. So yes, acknowledge your own love, but also 
Acknowledge God's love in you and share it with other people. Acknowledge your own capacity for compassion and forgiveness, but also acknowledge within you God's compassion, God's forgiveness, and share that with others. Acknowledge your own ability to want to be a blessing to others, but also acknowledge that divine calling in you to be a blessing to perhaps someone you've never even met before. Acknowledge the peace, the kindness, the humor in you, but realize there's divine qualities in you as well. And the greatest gift is given when we receive those qualities within ourselves and we're willing to share them with those around us. I love the the story of the the greatest gift that a gentleman by the name of of Ollie Neal received. Ollie Neal is currently a retired judge in the state of Arkansas. And as a teenager, he was what we would refer to as an at-risk child. In his senior year of, of high school, he wasn't studying, he was failing his classes, he was struggling, he didn't want to participate in a, in a segregated society that he saw as, as built against him. And on one particular day, he found himself in the library there at school, and uh, he noticed a book. And he noticed the book because it had a, a good-looking woman on the cover. And he, he grabbed the, the book, and it was written by an author by the name of Frank Yerby. And he, he wanted to read it, and he realized uh, that he would look really uncool if he checked it out, so he decided he'd steal it. So he put it in the back of his pants, and he uh, took the book home, and he, and he loved the book. Frank Yerby is an African-American author. And so he went back to the library a couple weeks, and he was so thrilled. There was another book from Frank Yerby there. I hadn't seen that the last time I was here, so he stole that too. And so he read that, and he did return them. Uh, and a couple weeks later, there was another book by Yerby that he hadn't seen before. Awesome. And Neil makes the, the point that this was the beginning of his dedication to an intellectual life, to making something of himself, to realizing the genius within and using it to serve others. He'd go on to go to law school and eventually to be a successful judge in Arkansas. And he was quite proud of himself at his 10-year high school reunion. Uh, he went back there, and uh, he was a lawyer then, and he got to um, let the teachers and everyone be, be proud of him. And he decided that he would uh, approach someone he hadn't really spoke to in the past, the school uh, li- librarian, uh, Mrs. Grady. <laughs> and so he went up to tell her, her his story, and he said, you know, I, I stole a book from here. And uh, she had a story for him as well. You know, she saw him steal that book that day. And at first she stopped herself. He can't steal that book. And, th- and then she paused. He's too embarrassed. He's too embarrassed to check out the book. So she let him steal it. And she saw his promise. She saw who he could be. And so she, she got together with a friend. She said, well, if he likes that book, he's probably going to want a, a, another one. And so they, they drove more than 25 miles in this segregated area to to get another book by this African-American author uh, to bring it back there and just put on the shelf and and hope that he might come and pick it up. And so she was thrilled when she saw that the book wasn't there one day and they drove another 25 miles to get another book. You know, I don't know if I believe 
totally in, in angels in the sense of these winged creatures above us somewhere. I'm very open to it, however. But I do believe that any of us can become an angel when we acknowledge the call to be a blessing for another. Any of us can embody that blessing that the divine wants to give of itself to anyone, to know their potential, to know their truth, to know their power, by simply being willing to embody that blessing and be it for another. The British thinker John Ruskin once said, there is only one power, the power to save someone. And there is only one honor, the honor to help someone. The beautiful part of Neil's story for me isn't just that he achieved great things or that Mrs. Grady was a great librarian and a great person, but how many of us receive so many blessings that we never know how they came about? We live our lives in one story about how the way things go. Oh, I took the book and I was surprised to find another one there. But we don't realize that there's a greater narration to our plot. That there's something higher at work in our lives. How wonderful to know how someone has stepped up to be a blessing for us. Or how wonderful it is to know the blessing that we've had on another that they may never realize or know about. In my life, in my ministerial career, there's a lot of things that I can explain for myself. You know, you practice speaking, so hopefully you talk okay. Uh, hopefully you write okay. Hopefully you're, you're learning to listen better and better. But in the, the story of my ministerial career, the thing that I, I've never been able to put a finger on, the great blessing, is just how supported I've been. People showing up to sermons even though they stink, but seeing something in me anyways. <laughs> Individuals uh, supporting and encouraging me, seeing a a truth that I I couldn't even behold for myself. These are the gifts of life. This is the greatest gift to acknowledge how deeply we're connected. The impact others have had on us and we've had the opportunity to have on others. And that deep blessing that is always present. It's never in the past. It's always present to step into and embody and be for ourselves or another. I don't care if you've got uh, a hole burning in your pocket because you have so much money or you've got holes in the bottom of the feet because you're, you're so poor. This gift is the same for all of us to step into, to give, to use, and to receive. Uh, last week, we got to have the question of the day be, what is your favorite TV holiday special? And so uh, this, this morning, we get to ask, what is your favorite holiday movie? Favorite holiday movie. What do we got out there? Christmas Carol. What did I hear over here? Polar Express. Miracle on 34th Street. Love Actually. It's a Wonderful Life. No Die Hard yet? We call that the Bachelor's Double Feature on Christmas Eve is Die Hard and Lethal Weapon. And no, and no Bad Santa, I can't believe it. You know, it's not G-rated, so we can't recommend it, which I know means most of you will be renting it as soon as you get home. <laughs> Any other ones? White Christmas, Elf. What I hear over there from a young person? The Grinch. Got to do The Grinch. Yes. 
So thank you, everybody. And for me, uh, it's absolutely, it's a wonderful life. Not only is it my favorite Christmas movie, it's my favorite movie of all time uh, as well. Uh, Made in 1946. And what many people don't uh, know about is when it was released at the box office, it was considered a flop. Uh, It was released in the movies, and people didn't know what to make of this movie. How many people have seen it? Okay, most of us. Uh, what to make? Is it a comedy? Is it a drama? Gosh, it's pretty darn dark for a Christmas movie. Here you have this gentleman who's in financial ruin. He's on a bridge and he's ready to, to end his own life, which for someone in 1946, just surviving perhaps the Great Depression, was probably a very relatable experience. So there was a, a, a darkness and a depth. Um, but then there was the invention of something that popularized it. Do you know what that invention was? Television. So since it hadn't done well in the, the box office, the rights were cheap, so these new television stations were able to, to buy it, and, and they didn't have a lot of content, so they'd play it over and over on the holidays to the degree that it still airs once a year on ABC today. And people saw their own story in, in the movie, and if you remember it, the, the first half of the film is, is all about uh, this gentleman, George Bailey, and how he sacrifices personal interests for the greater good around him in his life. David Brooks, the New York Times columnist, would once write an article that the American life is about a battle between on the road, which is all about following your own way and doing things for yourself, and it's a wonderful life, doing good for others, which one's better, and he argues it's a wonderful life, wins out. The second half of the film is all about answering that question, what would your life be like if you never existed? What would life be like if you never existed? What would happen to the people that you love and care about? Would they even exist? What would your life be if you never existed? It's a powerful question. And it's a challenging one for those of us who can get into the rational type of thinking of saying, I'm just me, I'm just one human being in a sea of trillions that have been on this earth before. I'm not of any significance. I'm just a statistic. I'm just here for a small blip of time and and that's it. Anyone ever feel that way? Yeah, sometimes. But tell that to the people that you've had an impact on. Tell the story of your insignificance to the people you've been a blessing to or have been a blessing to you. Tell that to the people who you've been God's grace to, that you're insignificant. Because the truth is, that gift of life that has been given to all of us makes us as significant as anyone ever has or ever will be. For we are all expressions of that divine life. I love how Martin Buber said it, written around the time that It's a Wonderful Life came out. He said, every person born into the world represents something new, something that never existed before, something original and unique. If there had been someone like her in the world, there would have been no need for her to be born. It's always a great shift of consciousness to see ourselves not as brought into the world, but grown out of it that each of us has something unique to offer, that each of us, if not in the story of the long history of the world, at least in the story of the souls of who we are and of those we love, are intricate 
characters, our essential spirits, our great expressions of what the divine must have meant when she created you and I in this universe that we live in. We've all been given the greatest gift, and it's all up to us to receive it and to share it with others. Another fun fact about It's a Wonderful Life is that it was based on a a story written by a gentleman named Philip Van Dorn Stern um, that wasn't even published at the time. It was something that he wrote for fun and sent out as his Christmas letter that year to about 30 friends and family. And it is about a a gentleman named George Bailey who has an encounter with an angel named Clarence uh, and gets to find out what would life be like if I never existed. But in this one, he plays the role of a a vacuum, um, door-to-door vacuum salesman and gets to meet people that way. So it's kind of fun. And when Frank Capra, the great director, got a hold of the story, he, he knew he had an important story on his hands because of that question. What would life be if you never existed? And George in the book and in the movie gets to find out. The people who wouldn't exist currently at all if we hadn't been there to save their lives. The love and the children and the relationships that would have never been built. The businesses or the projects that would have never gotten off the ground or held it together through tough times. We are incredibly significant. And the name of Stern's story, The Greatest Gift. The Greatest Gift. What is The Greatest Gift again? It's the impact. It's the connection we have with one another. It's the blessing of life itself, the willingness to be blessing and in turn to be blessed. And it's the gift of life itself, forever giving itself, not in your distant past, but always here now. It's up to us to continue to open our hearts to receive it. And I'm, I'm the philosophy type. I love intellectualizing about God and spirit. But I don't know if I've ever experienced divinity that way. I've only truly experienced God, spirit, divine life, when I've opened myself up to the gift. The gift of the grace of the connections. The gifts of the blessings I've received the gift of life itself, to embody it, hopefully that much further every day, that's where the atheist in me stops. And the soul begins, that spiritual connection that binds us all. The last book Ernest Holmes uh, ever wrote was with his brother Fenwick. Why don't we have more Fenwicks here in the world? And it was an epic poem called The Voice Celestial. And to be honest, it's not the easiest read, but there's some portions that I really love, and here's one for us today. There is no need to leave the world of men, nor to retreat to some high cave or glen. Search deep within if you would truly find the springs of life in the eternal mind. Look in yourself, and you at length shall view Creator God who hid himself in you. Within this precious bowl of alabaster is found the secret of the hidden master. Too long a dying world has longed to see the God that man and man alone can be. And of course, they mean all humankind when they say that. Give yourself the gift of taking that time to honor the connections with those people that you love the most who've been God's grace to you 
and perhaps you've been God's grace to as well. Give yourself the space in your day. I know you're really busy, but give yourself that willingness at any moment to be a blessing for someone you love, for someone you've never seen before in your life. Be a conduit to that calling to be a blessing. And even in the midst of the busyness of the season, in the cooking, in the shopping, in the news watching, in the driving, and all of the above, don't let anything distract you from honoring that gift of life itself. Give yourself the time to receive that gift. And I don't care if in this time you find yourself at the highest point or the lowest valley in your life. If you do these things, I promise you a sacred and meaningful Christmas season, holiday season, to receive that greatest gift of life in laughter or in sorrow and all of it in one big pie altogether, to, to be present to this miracle of life that is most apparent right now, seeing through your eyes, speaking in your heart, and always lurking behind the busy thoughts of our minds. Thank you for listening to the Mile High Church podcast. This podcast is made possible by the generous contributions from listeners like you. If you'd like to make a donation, visit us at milehighchurch.org.